Heartburn. 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 Created by the University of Hartford Humanities Center Student Fellows. Back when I was nine, in the third grade, I'd take the bus to and from school with all the other kids. One day, a Monday, I remember, when I came home, I was crying. When my mom asked what had happened, I cried into her shoulder, leaving a stain full of my tears. I told her some kid on the bus called me chubby. I mean, that kid, whose name I've forgotten by now, wasn't wrong. But my mom looked at me and said what most chubby kids hear their mom say after school on a rainy Monday. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never harm you. I figured my mom would never lie to me. I dried up my tears and moved on. But looking back, my mom was wrong. My name is Michelle, reporting now from the age of 22. And I have come to discover that yes, sticks and stones can hurt us, but so can names, so can words. Here's the story. No matter the coordinates of where you stand on this planet, hate speech and hate crimes exist beneath the floorboards. Sometimes, anti-Semitic, racist, sexist, Islamophobic, and homophobic exchanges occur behind closed doors, remaining invisible to most. The group that is targeted does not hear or see these exchanges. Nonetheless, they exist. But sometimes, the same speech escapes these spaces, finding their way to bathroom stalls, hallways, doors, sidewalks. This is a story about hate speech that has escaped the room. Everyone's got their respective corner on a university campus. Personally, mine is the English department hallway on the first floor of Auerbach Hall and occasionally in the corner bar stool at Starbucks in the library. The corner of campus where this story picks up is a place I barely find myself, the Hartford Art School. This month, unlike other months, I've found myself obsessively returning to the art school building, only to stare at walls, open and close bathroom stalls, and look between the crevices of each hallway. What I've been anxiously looking for is the startling reality of hate. Hate that culminates in words, and hate which defaces a community. On February 21st, word gets out about a note that was left on the professor's door in the Hartford Art School building. The note reads a homophobic slur which I will not repeat in this podcast. Just imagine a vulgar, threatening combination of words unpoetically smacked to a post-it note. While the student and faculty member involved remain unnamed, so does the status of the crime. Where is the student? How has the faculty member responded? What is the due process for the student? 
Nobody knows. The next day, February 22nd, Hartford Art School students receive an email from their dean calling for a community meeting. The art school, along with the administration at the university, requests that the topic of hate speech be addressed at a public forum. The email sent from the dean of the art school reads, quote, It is imperative that this be a community based on trust and respect for all. We are going to work on that together. There is zero tolerance for hateful or discriminatory actions on our campus or within our community. I just, uh, I was filling out my grad application recently, which is super fun. And one of the questions is, <laughs> um, thanks. Uh, my teachers, um, my teachers slash classes taught me skills that I will use in the real world. The person speaking is my roommate, Rowan, who's a student at the art school. I recorded this comment they made at the community meeting. And I think one of the skills that you need to know in the real world is how to navigate these situations. But I do think it's part of our teachers' jobs to teach us how to do that. So, I don't know. I think, I remember last year at a town hall meeting, I suggested that there should be, like, training for teachers. Um, Is there anything in motion to do that as of late? This hate speech graffiti incident made a list of layering issues visible to everyone involved. The flames of this problem are fed by the students, the faculty, and the administration. All three groups share equal roles in the discomfort of hate speech on campus. I'm Caroline Willard. I'm an assistant professor of sculpture. So now we're just talking. So now we're just having... (laughs) In an effort to get the full story, I reached out to a few students and faculty at the Hartford Art School. Um, It's important for people who listen to this to know that it has a physical effect on queer people on campus, that there was a really beautiful email thread, actually, that was between faculty and some administration. And a lot of queer faculty wrote very beautiful and painful stories about the relationship between hate speech and physical harm. And they said, for example, it makes me go weak in the knees to hear this and to know that this happened. So I think there's a way that people who haven't experienced hate speech or been marginalized through their identity just don't understand the daily trauma that can be re-triggered through this kind of incident and how it creates an outpouring, like a triggering of so much previous trauma for our friends, for our community, and for our own bodies, just trying to walk through space. So I think, yeah, someone listening to this should imagine someone that they love who is not safe, just because whatever, they're a woman, they're a Muslim, they're undocumented, they're queer. We all have someone in our lives that we love like that, and that person does not feel safe when this happens. One student I spoke with, Ashton Whitworth, who is studying visual communications and design, expressed the fear they feel in the presence of hate on campus. 
I know, like, a lot of people felt unsafe in general, or, like, I felt, like, unsafe, like, not necessarily just, like, the art school, but just, like, in general on campus. Like, I'm sure it's not just this one, you know, this one person with this one opinion that's now, you know, being broadcasted, that, like, a lot of people have this opinion. It's just brought more to your awareness. You're like, okay, a lot of people around me have, like, these thoughts or these opinions and probably, like, have those opinions, like, towards me or towards, like, other people I care about. I also spoke with Abby Bayer, a visual communications and sculpture major. Abby is a residential assistant on campus, and she's been making an effort to reach out to her residents to continue this discussion outside of the art school. That's the most frustrating thing, is that um, it's, it it's going to happen again if we don't have these conversations. And it can happen again anywhere, not even on the art school. It could happen under the bridge, in commons, on the residential side. Like, it happens everywhere that until we have these conversations everywhere and anywhere, like, it'll just keep happening. And I think that us just having one or two community meetings isn't going to resolve anything. As soon as I caught word of what was happening at the art school, a building I don't set foot in on an average week, I felt wired. The system and the terms by which a university runs suddenly piqued my curiosity. The first thing I did when I heard about the hate speech at the art school was open up the university website. I clicked on the search bar and impulsively typed in the word homophobia. Scrolling down the page, the first related results that pop up is a link to a page titled Bystander Intervention. I click on the bystander link. I began reading instructions public safety gives to those suffering abusive behavior. Quote, Confront friends who make excuses for other people's abusive behavior and speak up against racist, sexist, and homophobic jokes and remarks. Model pro-social behaviors and actually intervene when a potentially violent situation occurs. Okay, I thought, that's great advice. But as I scroll to the bottom of the page, I read the last segment titled, The Three Ds of Bystander Intervention. Direct, Delegate, Distract. These three Ds are listed and defined in the context of bystander awareness. The definitions read, direct, directly intervene in the moment to prevent a problem situation from happening. Delegate, seek help from another individual, often some, someone who is authorized to represent others, such as a police officer or campus official. Great, I thought, a reiteration of how students should step forward in harassment and abusive situations. But then, I read the definition for the last D. Distract. Interrupt the situation without directly confronting the offender. When I read the definition for the word distract, I feel confused. How can someone be direct with their oppressor and distract them in the same instant? So my version of this was I looked up fine for homophobic slur in Google. 
It turns out Professor Willard thought to search for and define the language being used in this scenario the same way I did. That's what I did. Um, and Kobe Bryant in 2011 from the Lakers was fined $100,000 for using the same slur. So I just wanted to know, like, what are precedents in other places, especially ones with toxic masculinity, where this would be a way to emasculate? Um, because, yeah, we can talk a lot about sexuality and gender and, like, what it means to occupy this straight male space. So for me, it would also be important to happen in locker rooms. And that's why in the community meeting I said, let's not assume that this is unusual. Let's assume that this is every day and let's just make a core class that everyone has to take through their four years that's about conflict transformation and recognizing what hate speech is, along with a number of oppressive interpersonal dynamics that reflect structural inequity. And let's learn how to address it. In the process of following the art school story, I began to realize how important the terms by which we as people define and address things. Words are the only thing we have to explain and communicate how we feel and what we want or do not want. The last pocket of campus I decided to investigate was the Department of Public Safety. Just, just so I have it for the record, could you say your name and your, um, your like affiliation to public safety at the University of Harvard? Yeah, Michael Kozlowski is the chief of the Department of Public Safety. You could take that card if you want it. But right, so um, the first thing I asked the chief of public safety about is to clarify the way campus police respond to hate crimes. Right. So. Okay. Um, so yeah, we respond to investigate it, do the best we can to determine the the. The motive and intent, right, which is important to us because, um, you know, we, we base our stuff on Cleary crimes, right? So motive and intent are important for Cleary crime reporting. We need to know the motive and intent of the person who wrote it, right? So usually it has to be directed at somebody for some kind of motive and intent to alarm and, and that kind of stuff. So I'm not downplaying it, but I'm just saying what the definitions are. And you could look those up, honestly, on the internet. Yeah, you're using the term Cleary Cleary yeah. crime. So what Cleary, is that? So Cleary crime is a is our our federal guidance. So every year, um, every university that gets um, uh, funding from from the feds get have to has to report your Cleary crimes, right? So your Cleary crimes are are your crime statistics on campus altogether. So Chief Kasselowskis shifted around the things on his desk to find a thick booklet to reference in speaking about a Cleary crime. Okay. So this is. So this is the Cleary book. So this is guidance from the feds on campus and security reporting edition. So in here, like I, you know, the ones I use frequently or want to look up frequently is like, so this is here, like hate crimes, right? So this is definition of hate crimes, the guidance we have to follow, race, right? And then um, religion, secular orientation. He flipped to the section which clarifies hate crimes on campus. The chief was trying to explain to me that public safety has to be able to confirm a crime as a certain category. They reference a standardized book to define a claim when it is reported. It's like their personal encyclopedia for a crime on campus. A lot of times that's what I have the, that LibSafe app for, right? So I want people to report any concerning behavior, right? So when you say hate, right, most people, like, most people don't know what a hate crime is, right? I mean, they just know it's 
disparaging speech or something. You know what I mean? So they don't know it's a hate crime. They know it's not good or not right or what. You know what I mean? So um, we just ask people to report, right? Any concerning behavior. I don't want them to have to rec know a definition. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like I just rather, hey, if it's concerning behavior, just report it to us and give us some info to go on. Chief Kasolowskis put a heavy emphasis on defining a hate crime based on the intent and motive behind what the perpetrator has said or done. You can tell at this point, 20 minutes into our conversation, that he's become more comfortable speaking to his line of work and his life. It's a loose term, right? Everyone gets their day in court, right? right. I mean, that's not part of my process. My, my goal is here, like, this is an educational institution, right? Um, I'm not saying to downplay anyone's behavior. I'm just saying for me, like mental health, right? Let's educate people and get people help. This person, right? Do they need help or were they really, were they really that angry and really meant that, that speech, you know? My son is gay and he's had a tough, you know, he's 27, almost 27, right? He's had a tough life and, you know, I know, I know firsthand what he's going through, you know? I give my life for him, but so it's uh, sometimes people need to be educated. What's the really intent? No, I'm not talking about clear definition. I'm talking about human, right? Being human, what's really your intent? Are you just trying to fit in with a bunch of, with a group of people to be accepted where you're gonna call people names and write hate stuff or, or to be cool, I don't know, right? Or did you really mean that? That's really your, you know, like you're gonna join the KKK or something, you know what I mean? The conversation between the Chief of Public Safety and I reminded me of a comment Professor Woolard had made in regards to the due process of the student who graffitied the art school professor's office door. Um, I also take the very unpopular stance that rather than removing this person, I'm very interested in transformative justice, which means we don't isolate people or remove them. We think about ways to have community accountability and transform people so that the parts of ourselves that are cruel, that are involved in um, all kinds of microaggressions or just ignorance can be transformed in community. It almost felt as though Professor Willard and Chief Kasolowskis were speaking to each other from separate rooms. I teach a class called Fair and Impartial Policing, and um, it's a you know it's, I make it a two-day class, and my my all of my department has gone through it, and all my new hires go through it, and you know not that they not that they're not, but everybody has biases, and being in this line of work, you have to recognize your bias and check your bias, and 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 stay focused, you know. So that's a big part. Um, big part of this work we do, you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's, this, this job is getting harder every day, you know what I mean, that this, yeah. this profession, so. There's also so many, like, layers to being politically so many layers. now, yeah. So many layers, right? And mm -hmm. it's really hard, you know, we gotta stay educated, current on all this stuff, you know? I mean, it's, it's, you know, I, I've been called, I've been in this line of work for 30 years, and I've been called a lot of things, right? Racist and names, you know what I mean? That doesn't, you know, when I say hurt my feelings, it bothers me a little because I'm not, uh, although everyone has biases, right? I mean, everyone, I, unconscious bias, right? Um, so 
just by people you meet and talk to and you develop a bias on them based on how they're dressed, they look, right? I mean, everyone does. It's just it's yeah. human. Both voices you're hearing here are using different words to describe the same human impulse. Bias. But I know that's very unpopular. People love removing people. To me, this is like, if you're a prison abolitionist, if you believe in the end of the prison system, people ask you, what's the opposite of jail or prison? And people talk about community safety, community accountability. So while, yes, I feel terrified that this happened, I know that I also am capable of harming people, not hopefully in such an aggressive way, so targeted, but in daily microaggressions, in my own bias that I need to work through. So I'm really interested in things like truth and reconciliation commissions, in community accountability, in moments where we can all recognize our ability to harm one another and then model the process of coming to terms with the pain and the harm that we've caused and being able to transform and stay in community rather than just like kicking out the part of myself that is racist or sexist or homophobic internally and not allowing myself to look inward and see this and then try to be vulnerable with that in a classroom and be like, I just misstepped, I just crossed a line, I just made someone uncomfortable, I just misgendered someone. And to be able to talk about it rather than saying like, remove, you know, oh, that's not allowed. So I think we all feel differently about where that line is and when you've crossed it forever and should just be removed. But I just wanted to put that unpopular opinion out there um, because of the educational power and the transformative power of being vulnerable in the midst of harm. Um, but yeah, that's my unpopular opinion. However a university decides to take actions in situations of hate crimes, the students, the faculty, and the administration who work to build a campus community should never cease to question and think critically of the words they are using to describe and explain. Words are powerful, perhaps even more powerful than sticks and stones. My name is Michelle, a graduating English major at the University of Hartford. Thank you for listening.